don't know, last, not last week, two weeks ago, um, I handed out a little thing on the Heidelberg Catechism. It was just the first couple of questions. I don't know if you've got a copy of that. Uh, if you don't, that's why I got some up here that we'll, uh, we're not going to specifically address anything on here tonight. We'll do that next week. But there's something else that I guess that I wanted to, to touch on. Um, it's directly related to this. Um, but I, I mentioned in a message a couple of weeks ago that two of the things that I think are most important to people, Christian people even, are comfort and convenience. And then this happened. Um, it really upended a lot of people. I know that. It was a terrible ordeal. And something that I've been dealing with personally, um, we believe God is sovereign, right? If he's not, we, we're, we got all the reason in the world to worry. So if God is sovereign, and that in, um, in his providence, things like this happen, For me to gripe, for me to complain, is an affront to God's sovereign. I might as well tell God, God, you don't know what you're doing. Do you realize what you've done to me? You know, that goes for everything. Anything and everything I complain about. It's, it's like I'm pitching the fit. God, you're, you've messed me up again. And, and I think what happens is that we've just got such a small view of God and an elevated view of ourselves. And one of the things that really came to a forefront when I was studying and I remember years ago seeing a, a recording of a missionary that had gone to, to Northern Africa. And one of the locals had picked him up at the airport and they were driving to where this missionary was going to be serving for this short-term mission. And uh, the, guy, the missionary asked the guy driving, said, how well do you know the United States? Well, he had been here a few times and been back over there, the Nate, you know, the the, in, the native African man had. And, um, and so the missionary actually said, what is different about here in America from what you've seen? And the guy was driving along and he, he said, well, what am, he said, if you got up to get ready to go out to work or somewhere and you had no water, you would complain. Here, if we turn on the spigot and we have water, we're grateful. He said there, if your electricity goes out and you can't dry your hair, you get upset. Here, we schedule activities around the times during the day when we do have electricity. It's kind of on and off, hit and miss. I mean, that's just stuck with me. And one of the things in, in the Heidelberg Catechism that, and the way it starts off, and, and it's the only one that I know is this way. Now, there's not another one that, that, that starts off like that. Every catechism or um, creed starts off, usually the ones I know about, start off with, with who God is. Nearly every one of them do. But just as a refresh you, your memory, let me read you what the first question, and remember the catechism is, is laid out in, in a question and answer format. Okay, so here's the, here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? 
What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my only comfort. And anything else where I try to find comfort is below what it should be. We've set our sights too low. I, um, and I've just jotted some things. I said, like, where we look for comfort and the extent to which that we go to, either to maintain or secure what we feel like will bring us comfort, indicates a condition of my heart. I mean, where do I look for comfort? Where do you look for comfort? We're, you know, that's where we should look for comfort, but m many times we don't. Many times we don't. Another way to ask this same question is, what does it take to disturb your comfort? What does it take to disturb it? Or maybe somebody could ask me, Steve, what gets you perturbed? Because I can be easily perturbed by some things. Water leaks. I mean, just, I was just going to the, southern, to the kitchen to make me a sandwich the other day. That's all I did. I, I wanted to make a sandwich. I already had the bread out on the plate. And I just happened to see a reflection. That much water standing in the utility room. Two trips to Home Depot in the dark with ice on the road. You finish your sandwich? <laughs> the bread was so stale <laughs> by the time I got to. And, okay, now here, it's my mouth. So I get through, and it's before we had all the problem with the supply, you know, water supply, okay? I said, I, I've got to take a shower. I, I, am, I, am, I was a nasty mess. You, so I got in the shower and I came out of the den at about 11 o'clock, wasn't it? And I was going to sit down in my chair. And before I could even sit down, Debbie said, uh, I hate to tell you this, but we're out of propane. <laughs> so I get dressed again with my boots on and everything and go out there and swap a tank around. 11 o'clock at night. Perturbed. I mean, I didn't blow a gasket or anything. I didn't, honestly. Did I, I got a witness here. I didn't blow a gasket. I, but listen, I wasn't at peace. And there was no measure of comfort involved in that. So what does it take to upset your comfort? The thing that we don't realize that we need to keep in mind is that things where we place our comfort, if it's in anything other than God himself, if we find comfort anywhere else, the fragility of that, everything else is so fragile. I mean, think about it. I mean, who would have thought two weeks ago where we would be with water right now and, and how much it's upended so much stuff? I mean, schools are still out tomorrow, I believe, because of water problems at places. I know Solid Rock can't have church, isn't having church tonight because they have no water at the church. I don't know how many others are that way. I mean, people, you know, just giving the water departments down the road, but it's just amazing what, what upsets are. And listen, I'm a, here's the bottom. Nobody in Giles County is going to die of thirst. Nobody will. Nobody's going to die of thirst. But you'd think they were. Now, there's some stinky people in South Giles County, I can tell you. There's people over there that hadn't showered and bathed and I, you know, in, in a week or more. And there, one fella said, you don't want to go to the grocery store with them. I mean, if you can tell who lives in South Giles when you go to Piggly Wiggly because they'd be stinking in the, you know, in the grocery store. It's hard. It's, it is. It's difficult. I know. I know it is. But whatever upsets that comfort, folks, listen, Here's what I have to tell myself. We have got to be more thoughtful, Amen. more thoughtful 
when we come across trials and tribulations of various kinds, James said, be grateful for them, didn't he? Be grateful when you meet trials of various kinds. Because the problem, the thing is this, that's what it takes to mold us into the image of Christ. Easy times don't do it. And easy life doesn't do it. Trials and tribulations and trouble and difficulties and hardships in life are what God uses to mold us. And that's one of the best testimonies to people around us is when that peace like a river, the song we used to sing, in the midst of a trial, when the, the peace and the comfort of God himself just indwells you in the midst of it. Folks, people know. People know. And people know when we, we tell people that we're believers and then we get all torn up about things just like they do. Just like they do. Now, folks, listen, I'm, there's a mirror right here, okay? I'm talking to myself too. Um, so, but listen, there's nothing, comfort is in and of itself is not wrong. It's not evil. It's not wicked to want to find comfort. It's not. It's the source of our comfort, the main source that we're looking for. Like, I don't want to lay in a bed that's not, that's uncomfortable. Anybody else? I mean, I don't want a bed that's going to, you know, make me toss and turn and wake up in the morning. I don't, I want a bed that's comfortable. I want a chair that's comfortable. I want food that's comfortable. But my life can't revolve around those things. Comfortable in a job, comfortable in a relationship. Listen, comfort outside of God himself is fragile. It's fragile. And lives get completely destroyed when they place their hopes and their dreams for this bringing them the comfort that they need, the peace that they need in their life. And their lives get destroyed when that's ruined. They get destroyed. <clears throat> so, the comfort that the Heidelberg Catechism describes is the assurance and confident expectation of the full and perfect enjoyment of life to come. That's the life to come. I, I read a commentary that um, the man that wrote the, the Catechism had. And that's what he, that's why he started off. He said the comfort that, that is described in this, in, in the Heidelberg is the assurance and confident expectation of the full and perfect enjoyment of a life to come with a foretaste of it in this life. It's just a foretaste. But sometimes we get the idea that, you know, I, I want to see more of it now. I want to taste more of it now. God will let us taste as much of it right now. Listen, as we're prepared for. God will not give you more to taste than you're prepared to taste. Because you know what we do? We take advantage of things. In some measure, we've got to be worthy of that taste. You know, the reason sometimes we don't have more is because God doesn't trust us more. James said, the reason you don't have is you ask, you, you know, you, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss to consume it on your, on your life. <clears throat> so there's three things that, what, I mean, what, he, he describes what comfort is and, ha, and how it impacts those who know it. And that's the first thing he addresses. Number one, the comfort that alleviates our guilt. The comfort that removes, I mean, excuse me, that alleviates our grief. Excuse me, that alleviates our grief. We grieve, but not like others who have no hope, right? We still grieve when we lose someone. We still grieve in life, but not like people that have no hope. And not only alleviates our grief, but it removes our guilt and it strengthens us to patiently endure evil. That's what this comfort that God gives 
involves. <clears throat> I, I look at Second Second uh, Thessalonians, chapter two. We're going to look at a few different scriptures. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. For the sake of time, let's just look at verse 15 through 17. What Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he said, yes, yeah, Second Thessalonians, you got it? Everybody there? Okay. Verse 15, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tradition that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may the our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us what kind of comfort? Eternal comfort, everlasting comfort. Eternal comfort and good hope through grace comforts your hearts and establishes them in every good work and word. Kirby, I, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm just going to give when you. When you go back to work or you get a phone call that that pumps down again, Brothers say, God, I thank you that I have eternal comfort and this pump has nothing to do with that. I've got an eternal comfort in the heavens and a pump here on earth can't upset that. Whatever comes our way here on earth, anything that's, that's tangible can't, can't undo the comfort we have that God gives us through Christ. With the mag, go ahead. May I give you a comparison that happened? Sure. Sunday night, we had two babies born. And as soon as they hit the ground, they froze to the ground. And uh, they were dead the next morning. I mean, they were 14 degrees. And as soon as they hit the ground, they froze to the ground. Monetary value is nothing compared to that mom that's standing over that cash. It breaks my heart. They know, don't they? They do. I went ahead and did my thing. The ran out of hay then the next cold morning that was three degrees below that one. I was out of hay two different places, the furthest two farms from the house. The cow tractor once got that, whoo, it blow the hot air right in your face. It went rum, rum. I said, I'll wait for this action and try to start. So I go up to the other plate where two cans were frozen to the ground two days earlier. And I've got an open station up there, meaning no cow. Wind was blowing, oh, it was cold. <laughs> And uh, I got on that 420 and I hit that start here. No cows, no nothing. I sent a text to somebody with nothing but you can just see my eyes. Look, <laughs> we, I got on that sucker, I failed, I drove it six miles, and, and, and my little feet were like a chunk of ice. But you know what? I got back, I got through. And we have to reach back. And I thought, what is that black spot over there on the ground on the other side? Went over there, that was a baby that had been born during the night, was standing up nursing. Yes. Went to another place, there was another baby standing up nursing. And born, and then, you know, mm. God gives and God takes away. Amen. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was two babies coming exactly like the other baby. And then, the, then there was two fields of cattle that could not have hay because of my comfort. But God left that up because we detracted far. And I got hay fell out. And, and when it was all said and done, I said, God, I thank you that I've got a tractor that would start. My feet will get warm. But all those cattle fed today. Yeah. That was a comparison of Bobby's comfort and getting God's creation fed. 
And, and I could have thrown another little fit over it, but it was not going to fail. That's right. At 1.30 of the morning, we were talking about the comfort of that bed. At 1.30 of the morning, it's nothing to any feel any better than that warm bed. It's not falling right. Scared to the devil. There was something wrong at 1.30 morning. That was the time the water came back and started dripping in minor hill area at 1.30 what particular night for the morning. I said, guess what it is? My washer's running water and I can't get it shut off. Well, I said, let me get presentable. <laughs> I went down there and apparently they took the water washer on and the water went off and then it got back. So I set the water back on. I came back all back in the bed all the way. So, you know, sometimes you just got to do respect to that. And you know what? It's no telling how low our groundwater is. And I was looking out the door saying this water standing all on it. <laughs> God has melted this snow, this ice, is replenishing the water that we're going to be drinking the whole of July. Yeah. I got a hay field up there that's been white for three days and we fertilized and everything. This snow puts nitrogen in the ground. We yeah. there yesterday. I said, look how green that field is. Look like it was. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? And the depth of our of our grief and the breadth of our of our guilt. The comfort that alleviates those has got to be magnificent. And and I it pains me to think that so many Christians that don't know that. They don't know that comfort. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, we do, and and what we get, we get, we get sidetracked. It's like we, sometimes we need blinders on at times because we get distracted by all this stuff out here. We get distracted by all of that, and that's why when you know Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, "Stand firm, stand firm," and he said, "And hold to." Stand firm and hold too. I, you know, and I know y'all have all heard this. And I, it, out of the book of Habakkuk, the very last thing in the book of Habakkuk, everybody's heard this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the field. Calves die in the barn. And there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. This was Habakkuk. This was before the incarnation of Christ. Isn't it incredible that an Old Testament prophet can draw more comfort from the promises of God then than too many believers do now with everything that's gone on in the last 2,000 years that took place on Calvary. You would think these people had more hope than we do, more comfort than we do. Or, or Jeremiah's Lamentations, with everything that, that went on in Jerusalem, Man, I told y'all what happened. You remember me telling you what happened, how bad things got in Jerusalem? Women were boiling their newborns to eat. You're talking about a degraded society, folks. And how he struggled, how he was abused, how he was mistreated by his own people. He said, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new. I mean, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's a man that suffered so much of his own countrymen. And a, dec a ministry that lasted decades has not recorded one single convert in all his ministry. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Good gracious.
where we have been so comfortable for so long. When you were talking about I was in 86, I was in the south of the Panama Canal, joining two cities after where the, the natives could come have a road other than going around and correcting their We talk about electricity and all. They had a huge generator for the township and McGee Lake Boy. At 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, <coughs> the generator, they had two hours of electricity. And they were happy as big, big sunshine. That was their comfort. That was all they were using. At 11 o'clock, it went off. They were poor people in their own matter, but they were so rich because they didn't need anything else. Each township had a mayor. They actually slaughtered two calves for us on the last few days we were there and fell off a great summer. We've got Two good son in law, but there's never been a man worth getting my two dollars. I'm just <laughs> But that mayor got up and announced the night they met us. He had two beautiful daughters, probably ooh, 20, 22 year old. He offered those two dollars to any American soldier that would take it to America. And Maryland would be a, a good folks or two. Mm -hmm. Where they could get, and, and you know what? They uh, and I knew some of those soldiers that were talking about the land. I said, I want to tell that mayor, shut your mouth. There's only about 15 run up there. But you know what? We were all humble because we came back, flew back, and fussed because we were all a, a, a concrete pad and we couldn't get through customs right to get back to our home and there was somebody who would get his daughters away to an old stranger to get them out of the poor conditions they were in. Folks, we have got it so reversed. Yeah. So reversed. Yeah. And that same thing, I know I'm taking up all your time. We went and did a recon in February and went back and June, I guess it was, something like that to start our project. I saw the poor condition of the children. Poor condition meaning they didn't have what our children have. Children have. And, and I've told this story before. And the, the, uh, I was the first part of the unit and we, I told them we carry 164 men away. Just a yard sale item in the bottom of your duffel bag. A toy or a little shirt or whatever. And we got with the mayor and had a giveaway. And it was children came out of the woodwork. They'd come through line. We'd say, this will beat you, this will beat you, try to give them a toy. We got down with red out of toys. And I went in our supply. And I got magic markers, packs of five or six different colors and started handing out magic markers to children. Uh, <clears throat> the lady, it was just about the same age the child was a janitor, a baby as a house. <clears throat> came and presented me the baby. And I took that child, oh, I was just loving it. I mean, man, it was just good. And then the person said, first sergeant, I don't know whether you know what you're doing. She is giving you her baby. For what y'all have done to these people today. I said, don't hurt her feelings. I can't take her, baby. Don't have a lot of the United States government. I'm here to tell you, I handed that baby back to her. It was as though I could still see her face right now as I could back in 86. It was joy pickle with that lady's face. Because what? She got her baby back, but she was willing to give it for magic mom. That's how messed up we are in this world. Yeah. You know, 
One of the things that's brought out in this catechism is the difference between law and gospel. How one depends on the other and how they're interrelated. Because without the law, there's no need of the gospel. And the gospel is meaningless unless you understand the law. <clears throat> because the, the character, listen, the character of the lawgiver is reflected by the law or the lawmaker. Let me give you, let me give you an example. And this is why I believe we are so much under judgment in this country right now because we got the, we got wicked lawmakers making laws that are wicked. I mean, they are. And the character, and listen, they're, they're up there. Now, we don't agree with a lot of things I know that are done, but folks, as a society, as a culture, the laws reflect us. They reflect us. And if things are heading the way they are right now, the presidential the way it looks like, the, it's fixing to get worse. So we better know where our comfort comes from. And, and I, here's, here's the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up, because the reason we don't latch on to that comfort in the light of the, of the way the Heidelberg Catechism lays it out, the reason we don't long for that comfort is one of two reasons because we're too comfortable with what we have here or we do not understand the wickedness of our disobedience to God. We don't understand the holiness of the law and therefore we don't, we don't seek the comfort that only comes from having to be forgiven of our guilt and cleansed and made right. That's the problem. We're either too much at home here or we don't understand the, the depth of, our, of the depravity in our hearts or a combination of both. That's the problem. And that's what somebody, that's what these people understood. That's what the Puritans understood. The, these people understood that. I don't, I, I don't know, Chris, you've studied Puritans quite a bit. Do you ever come away from it there with anything except a convicted heart? They, from the time they rose, when the first day of the morning, they were in God's Word. They were singing praises. At the end of the day, they were singing praises. They were in God's Word. Yeah, it's, it's very convicted. And you think, how are we any different than them? <laughs> the only difference is, is they were committed to the scripture. They believed it so much. And because we, I, I've said it before, that, you know, we can say that we're blessed in the United States, but it's a blessing and a curse. We're more distracted in the United States because we can't pretend in China. You can't halfway, you're not going to ride the fence, not that there is a fence, but there is no riding the fence. I can't be a Christian one day and then what? You either are and you might die, or you just reject it all together because it's not worth dying for if you don't believe it. Amen. You know, I, I think I may have told you all about the missionary. The, the, because there's a huge underground church movement in China. <clears throat> and a guy went over there, uh, a missionary from here. I think it was a pastor going to train some, some pastors. And they had a, they were meeting, you know, kind of secretly. And, um, the guy that's kind of head of the Chinese underground church was introducing to people, to other pastors and other ministry leaders that were involved in this house church movement. And there was one younger pastor there that was just really kind of gung-ho and everything. And um, this Chinese pastor got this missionary aside and said, look, you can't trust him. And, you know, he thought a minute and he, he said, well, why not? And the Chinese pastor said, because he has not yet been to prison for his faith. You can't trust him. 
You see, that's how they prove themselves. When you've been to prison because you're preaching or your or your ministry, and you come out and you've and you've you've held your testimony and you come out, then you can be trusted. Different world, isn't it? Here you hand somebody a well, here's my degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. Here, hire me as your pastor. What does that have to do with anything? The more you've been talking, the more it's been in my mind. I think of Paul, you think of everything Paul went through. And then he says that he must be content in all situations. If things were good, when he was starving to death, beaten, left to die, or whatever, content in all situations. And you can't do that when you're focused on what's around. You can't be healed by your circumstances. Yeah. I've learned, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content in whatever. I know how to bound and I know how to suffer need. Ah. May I read a scripture that uh, someone tells us that's the end of the election and so forth, no matter how it goes? Jeremiah 20 11. But the Lord is with But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors, persecutors will struggle and they will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, but they will not prosper. Their everlasting confession will never be forgotten. We are there. We are there. Read that first phrase again that you're ahead. It's on my coffee cup. The Lord is with me like a mighty Lord. The Lord okay, the Lord is with Okay. Boy. I'm going to give you a taste of Sunday's message, Lord willing. Yeah, well. <laughs> One of the godliest men I know still alive today is a man named Richard Owen Roberts. Y'all know Richard Owen Roberts? <clears throat> I'm going to, Sunday's message, I, I, the three headings I'm going to take from him, but God's given me the other. But here's, here's what he, and the reason I, I bring this up, Bob, because what you just said, and it's something I think in my own life too often is lacking. Richard Orr Roberts talks about the presence of God in three aspects. One is the essential presence of God. That means as God said, I feel, I feel heaven and earth. Listen, God is as present here as he is at the liquor store down the road. He's as just as much present here as he is at the strip club. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's presence, his essential presence, God feels heaven and earth. But then... He, oh, his, um, the, I, I, I lost, start to the name, I've lost the word. Um, manifest presence. His manifest presence, where we know. That's, that's revival presence. That's when God grips your heart where you are. That's when his presence is manifesting. People around know what we know. <clears throat> thirdly, not only the essential presence and his manifest presence, but thirdly, his cultivated presence. You know, we can cultivate God's presence in our lives. It can be cultivated. James said, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself. And he, you know, James talks about how, you know, because God, um, he blesses the, the, the humble, 
but the priority keeps it arm's length. One, of the th one thing that will kill, I understand what I'm saying by this, one thing that will inhibit God's manifest presence in our life is, is pride. That, is, that will kill the presence of God in a heartbeat. His manifest in, in our own life. But So there's the essential presence, and then there's the, His manifest presence. It's what we long for, what we ought to be praying for. And then his cultivated presence, where Richard Roberts said he had a he had a meeting and he taught on repentance at this meeting in this church. And after the meeting, he got a call that afternoon from the pastor of that church. He said he was livid. He said, we've, we've, rented, we've reserved a room there at the hotel where you're staying, and me and the other seven elders are coming out there to meet with you. So Robert said, well, okay. So we get in the room in there, and he said, these eight men, the Richard old Roberts is like this. He's like, he was like 90 years old 20 years ago, so I don't know. <laughs> and, and his voice is like this. And he, when he taught, when he preaches, he preaches like this. I don't know why he puts his hand up there, but he does. But this, but anyway, he said, we started a trademark. But he said, this man started in on me, and this old man. And he said, I just sat there and smiled. And he said, I think it made him matter. And he said, within a few minutes, the seven of them just got up and stormed out. And he said, I didn't see the net, the, the, that preacher again that whole week until the last day. And then he said, I want to meet, take you out for lunch. And so he took you. He said, I want you to tell me what you, everything is wrong with me. And long and the short of it is that Richard Warren Roberts told him and said, Pastor, I don't think you've ever repented. I don't think you've ever repented. And the pastor looked at him dead in the face and said, you're right. And Richard O. Roberts said, you're standing in the pulpit as a reprobate. And he said, I know. And he said, I know this. He said, I've got two weeks to repent. Now he said, I don't know where the two weeks came from, Richard O. Roberts said, but the pastor told him. He said, I've got two weeks to repent, and if I don't, it's over. Now, he didn't know anything else more about the story. But one of the things that, that this comfort does, it, it, that the Heidelberg talks about, is that, folks, it will lead you to, to repent more as a believer than you ever did before. And the problem is some people stop repenting when they pray to prayer. I think it was... Charles Spurgeon said, you know, the holier a man, the closer a man draws to the Lord, the dirty he'll, dirtier he'll see himself. Ladies, you know this, and men do too. Good old, you know, a summer afternoon when the sun's setting and you go to open up your blinds. You don't see all that dust until the sun's shining, do you? That's when you see it. That's when you see it. Listen, there's never a reason not repent. You know, God has never gasped when someone confessed something to him. Yeah, he never goes, oh, if I'd have known that, I'd have never... Old country pastor down in Mississippi. They had a young man in their congregation that killed a lot of them. A lot of potential. And they didn't have a lot of money. And but they they got enough money up and they sent this young man off to seminar. And, and you mentioned pride boy, and the word says pride comes full of pride.
And this will have to work with truth. He came back an old country preacher. Was not very educated. He'd say, I ain't never known then, just whatever you need to say. But he was a man called of God. And that young man came back and he got so educated that he was going to show the old preacher up. The preacher laid the preacher on Sunday morning. He walked up behind the pulpit and told how many hours of seminar he had, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, God removed his heart. And he broke down and started crying. No pastor got up to come on down some. And said, when he got down and bowed, he said, if you had gone that fire the way you came down, you would preach a good message. End of story. End of the truth. Well, I've got. <laughs> I've got a list of six aspects of this comfort that we'll probably do next week. But I want I want to touch on one of them, and it, and it applies directly, and I, it's something that's very familiar with us. But sometimes an old passage of scripture, something that we all know, loses its its luster. Because we know we get too familiar with it. But sometimes when things, when life gets to a certain place, it's those old scriptures that come to mind that, we, that, that have application right now when we know it. So I, I've got six of those, and, but I'm just going to pick up one of them. It's the fifth one, and we'll touch on it again next week in a little more depth. But here's the fifth one. I've asked for the parts of the comfort. Even the afflictions and evils of life are turned to our advantage. They work for our good because of the comfort we have in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Y'all know it, I know every one of you do. But listen to this in light of what we've been through the last week or 10 days. And we know, do we know this? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose. God didn't call us and say, okay, now you can fulfill your purpose. Our life is in his hands. And you know, that's part of what it means to trust him and say, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, wherever you want to take me, however you want to get me there, whatever condition I am when I get there, when I get there, it's fine with me. For those whom he foreknew. Now that doesn't mean God looked down the quarters of time. And what that means is literally is it means who, who God foreloved. That's what it means. If you go back and look at the at that word, that's where it comes. It, it means those he foreloved, those he, he foreembraced. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestinated, those he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. Well, it's all, God's got it all done. And if you're in Christ, you will be glorified. You will be. But it will not be because the life's been easy. How was that old preacher? I don't know if somebody can tell me. I heard an old preacher say, look, I don't want to get there in one piece. He said, I want my ship to pull into the harbor. Battle worn. The sails torn. The mast barely hanging on. And when I pull up to that shore, I'll be greeted by a man with a hole in his hand. In pierced feet, 
and a hole in his side. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to get there in one piece. I don't want to get there with energy left over. It's what he was saying. I want to take my last breath because I hadn't got any more. When we enter, when we enter glory. So what gets in the way of that? What hinders us? What hinders us? We're too comfortable here. We seek it here. We, I, you know, we say we, that God is our comfort. But we don't know it experientially. A lot like Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where he said, look, we got to a point where we despaired even of life. We'd given up living. He said, but that was to make us trust him. To put our hopes in him. That's why. See, God didn't take her to the brink of death in order to, to punish them or to afflict them. God, listen, God isn't capricious. You know that? He's not waiting. Listen, believer, he's not waiting for you to mess up so he can bonk you on the head. That's not what God does. Everything that happens to us is meant to mold us in the image of Christ. And the problem is that our hearts are still, still so self-centered. We're still so selfish. We're still so inward focused. And God loves us so much that he says, look, I've got to cut this off. I've got to grind right here. Bro, this is going to take some 36-grit sandpaper. I'm not, you know, we've got to get down to it. I'm not talking about 2,000 grit, wet or dry. You know what I'm talking about, guys? I might, there's got to be some material removed. Grind away, Lord. Sand away. Chisel away. Because you are my prey. You are my prey.